Now, let's turn to the Word of God, and we're still in the Gospel of John, but we've moved forward to chapter 15. So stand, if you would, for the reading of the Word. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Jesus is going to speak about a time when the world will hate you. Now the context here, of course, as you know, is Jesus speaking in the upper room, and then following the upper room as they left, they went out into the garden and across the Kidron Valley and toward the garden where Jesus prayed. This is the very, we, uh, this is the very late night hours of the uh, night before Christ was crucified the next day. Uh, this was a very, very important but very sad. If you read a lot of things about that hour that Jesus was facing, uh, he will say in just a few short hours that his heart is grievously heavy and weighed down with woe. And it's interesting that the Lord is speaking primarily about his experience. They hated me before they will hate you. They hate me, Jesus said, because I came and showed them the Father. And they do not know the Father. In fact, that's the basic problem with the hatred that is directed toward Christians, God's people, is that they don't know the Father. If you want to cure the worldwide hatred, you need to make the Father known. 
The more people on earth that know the Father, the fewer people that will be hating you as Christians. Jesus came to make the Father known. A couple of times in this text, he talks about how he had spoken to them, and because he spoke to them, they're now guilty of their sin. Now, forensically, of course, they're guilty anyway because they violated the law and the penalties of the law are operative. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we're all under the penalty of the law. That penalty, of course, being death. But it's the, it's the, the, the guilt, the uh, oppression, the awareness of their guilt. And that really is an emotive force in persecution. People don't know the Father. They're guilty because they know they're not right with God. They have not kept His commandments. They're not believing and trusting in Him. And so there is a hostility, an animus. There's a rebellion. This is reflexive of nothing other than their inheritance. We have all as human humans inherited from our father Adam and our mother of all living Eve, a rebellious nature, a sinful nature, a fallen and depraved nature, a nature that has a proclivity towards sin and rebellion, hatred, murder, and death, and lying, and against God. That's just the sad circumstance. In fact, the only thing that mitigates that circumstance is the sovereign work of God himself. Jesus says it like this, because I chose you out of the world. It is divine, sovereign election. And that's literally the word election is in the Greek text. It makes the difference. We would all hate God because we're all in rebellion against him. Every single solitary one of us would have a hostility and an animus. We would find ourselves in opposition and enmity toward God. Were it not for God's gracious, loving Sovereign, willful, deliberate choice to bring us out of the world. Uh, Listen to this language, if it's kind of interesting, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you on its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. One verse, five times using the word world. What in the world does world mean? Well, if you study the Gospel of John, you'll find that there's more than one meaning, and it's usually determined by context. We read earlier in John, and we found when we were studying about the conversation with Nicodemus, that the Bible says, for God so loved the world. And John turns around in his letter to the early churches and says, love not the world. The 
Well, we can see, obviously, that the word world has a different meaning in different places. This, is not, this doesn't happen too often in biblical studies. There are shades of meaning, but these are completely different ways of thinking. There is a sense in which the word world means the cosmos, the universe, the creation of God, the sun, the moon, the stars, the solar system, the earth and everything that in it dwells, the world. And when the God created the world, he looked at it and he said, it is good. And when man fell into sin, the whole world, the whole earth fell into a place of groaning and travail, longing for a redemption. And so the earth became, in many ways, a cursed and a depraved place. And with the judgment of the flood, changes, great changes were made in the earth's atmosphere, and the earth's position, and things began to happen. There were seasons, there were hot winds and cold winds, and it created all kinds of, of, of volatility upon the earth. And we're now living in a world, a cosmos, that is degenerating and deteriorating, breaking down at the molecular level, continually breaking down. That's the world. That world waits for a redemption, a redeeming. That world waits for a time when there will be a melting away with fervent heat and a new heaven and a new earth. That's that's not what world means in this passage at all. There's a sense in which the word world means the population of the world, the world of humanity, the world of people of all tongues and tribes and nations that cover the entire globe. That is often the way the world is used. It can refer not only to um, demographic universality, but also geographic universality. In other words, the world, all the peoples around the world, all peoples in all places, that's the world. That's not what it means here. Sometimes the word world can mean the whole order that God had created in its need of redemption. In other words, it's the fallen world, it's the suffering world, it's the hurting world, it's the depraved world, it's the population and the planet. That's what it means when it says that God loved that and sought to redeem that by sending Christ. Still not helping us with our passage yet. Let me get right to it. The world also can mean that system that which has been in place since God created. The Bible says God created man upright, but man has invented many devices. In other words, when God left man upon the earth and man fell into sin, mankind began to develop devices. We don't get very far in the book of Genesis. We begin to read about all the wonderful Developments and creations of man, scientific man, musical man, productive man, industrial man. We read the human story of how they began to develop so many things creatively and wonderfully. Both the lineage of Cain and the lineage of Abel and then Seth were 
were busy at developing things. But then it leads us to believe as we study the scriptures that that system is under the influence of the fallen one, Satan, the enemy, literally. The one who is a liar from the beginning, the one who is a murderer, the one who seeks death and destruction, the one who wants to destroy that good creation that God made. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He's called the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. That's the world that we're talking about here. It's that people under the influence of that serpent that we're cautioned about. That world hates us. That world seeks to destroy us. That world will persecute. That is a lying world. That is a culture that loves death. Anything that moves toward death and destruction is part of that culture. It is a darkness, it is a depravity upon all that God had created. And it's developed numerous among the devices that men have created and engineered are religious systems, multiple world religions, having one thing in common, the failure to recognize the true God and His Son, Jesus Christ, the true human. And Jesus, with this perspective, this worldview, is giving his disciples fair warning that they are in for it. That what happens to him, he was hated, they will be hated. His preaching and teaching and his marvelous works that he did before them, not only one and drew some to him, but it repulsed countless others. And that they will be persecuted. They will be hated. If the world hates you, know that it first hated me. John tells us not to love the world, nor the things that are in the world. It says the world is perishing. The world is passing away. So that's what we see here. This is, uh, if we were to put a chapter in a book, this would be cosmic Christianity. We would be thinking about what is the big, 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 big picture of our faith and our understanding of God, who he is in Christ, who he is and what he has done. If you are chosen, if you are called out, if you've been drawn to the Father, if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ, if you are believing in Him, if you're seeking to walk according to His path, if you're seeking to serve Him, if you are called by His name, and he referenced in here that sometimes the persecution comes just because you're called by His name. Some of those villages have been destroyed in Africa, for example, simply because there was a cross on the structure. If you are classified and categorized that way, you'll be hated by this 
godless world system. And it can range from the most passive and benign Buddhist to the fiercest Islamist, to the most pseudo-intellectual secular humanist, to the most vile tribal pagan. It knows no bounds. It can be as brutal and savage as the human mind can possibly imagine. And it can be as sophisticated and as cerebral as you can possibly imagine. This persecution, this hatred. Let me ask you a question as I close. Are you beginning to feel it? As you watch your television, as you read and see what's happening, you begin to feel it? Are you beginning to feel that there's a a loss of Christian consensus in our culture here in America and in the Western world? That there is a loss of definition and a loss of perspective and worldview seeing the things that we see it? Do you see it in the places of the media and in academia? But do you see it on the street corners? Do you see a loss of what we would used to think of as civilization? Can you see it in the urban streets after 10 p.m.? It is unbelievable how fast, how quickly the world, the hatred, the hostility is closing in on the Christian faith and on Christians. And I'll stop. There's just a whole lot we need to talk about here. Christ talked about this in all the Gospels and all of his teaching. Paul talks about it. It'll even be so bad that there'll be a religious sophistication to it. And here's the religious sophistication. The people that persecute you and put you to death eventually will think that they are serving a higher purpose and a higher God than you serve. They are more righteous than God, more benevolent than God. They're more moral than God Almighty. There will be a, an element to it that they will, they will have the moral high ground, as they say, and you are the vile, you're the offender, you're the lawbreaker, you're the one that don't abide by public policy, you're the outlaw. And Jesus simply says, and he quotes two passages out of the Old Testament. He calls it the law, but actually they're in the Psalms. And the word law, of course, sometimes refers to the whole Old Testament. He said, they hated me without a cause. And that's it. There's no reason to hate God Almighty. There's no reason to hate Christ. There's no reason to hate his people. There's no cause for it other than the wickedness, the depravity, the sinfulness of the human heart of the mass of humanity. We have lived for 200 plus years in an absolute dream world in America. We on this country took a great continent filled with natural resources and all the rest, and we enjoyed a Puritan ethic while we made fun of the Puritan ethic. We enjoyed the heritage from the early 17th century all the way through 
until just recent days. There's been a prosperity in this country that the world has never seen before. There has been a moral consensus in this country that the world has ever seen before. I fear those days are over and we're going to become just like the mass of humanity has been across the globe and across the centuries. And that is that the Christian faith has been a persecuted faith. Christians have died deaths, martyr deaths. In fact, that's the word used here. Jesus talks about the spirit bearing witness and he said, you will bear witness. And the word witness, of course, the the root word is the word martyr. In other words, you will pay with your lives. These are serious and sobering um, prospects for all of us, not just for preachers, not just for the, the institutional church, but we'll be hauled before Supreme Courts and we'll lose our moral case because there's a different morality, a different worldview in place. We'll read our Bibles that says, God created humanity. Male and female created He them. God will give the command to be fruitful and multiply, and the creation mandate to have dominion over all the earth. And that will be vague, memory at best in the minds of the supreme magistrates of our land. They won't see God as creator. They won't see any difference between male and female. and They won't have any understanding of what civilization is about when it comes to ordering humanity for the purposes of creation to the glory of God. And anybody that speaks against them will be blasphemers in religious courts. They will be traitors, seditionists, and treasonous in civil courts and subject to the penalties of persecution, imprisonment, torture, and death. Jesus was about to face it in a matter of hours. He wanted to make sure they knew that he was going to go first. Nobody was ever persecuted for being a Christian before Jesus died on the cross. He took the sinful blow first. And when he calls us to follow him, he tells us something kind of strange. He says, take up your cross and follow me. 